This is episode number 266 with Alanis Morissette. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Welcome, everyone, to a very special edition of the School of Greatness podcast. I'm so excited for our guest today. I had a pleasure of sitting down and connecting with the one and only Alanis Morissette. And for those that don't know who Alanis is, let me just share a little bit about her. Since 1995, Alanis has been one of the most influential singer-songwriter musicians in contemporary music. She's earned seven Grammy Awards with an additional 14 nominations, a Golden Globe nomination, and sales of over 60 million albums worldwide. In 2015, Alanis was inducted into the Canadian Music Hall of Fame. And outside of entertainment, she's an avid supporter of female empowerment as well as spiritual psychological and physical wellness. And we had an incredible time on this interview. And I want to share a few of the things that you're going to take away from this among many of the other points that she talks about in this session. And one is how to heal in relationships, not actually after the breakup healing, but during a relationship, how to heal in relationships. And she talks about some of the relationships she's been in and what she's learned from those relationships. The idea of multiple intelligences and how the education system doesn't make room for those with our kids. How Western society has allowed for men and women to both have beta and alpha roles in recent years. What Alanis has learned from the success of Jagged Little Pill, the 20th anniversary of her famous album that sold over 30 million copies worldwide and so much more about what Alanis has been up to her thoughts on staying relevant and what famous means to her and her message and her mission for what she's up to moving forward. I'm very excited about this. So please make sure to share this message out to the world. Share this with your friends on social media, lewishouse.com slash 266. Let's get the word out there about this one. And if you are a new listener to the podcast, make sure to head back to iTunes and click the subscribe button because we've got some great guests coming up and we do this every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, all about teaching you how to become great in your life, your business, your relationships, your spirituality, your health. And I'm so excited to bring and introduce to you the one and only Alanis Morissette. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA. Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. I don't know about you, but when around 3 p.m. hits, I find myself craving the right refreshment to get me through that mid-afternoon slump. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea is full-flavored sweet tea, but without the sugar and the calories. It might take several bottles for you to believe that a delicious sweet tea can really have zero sugar and zero calories. But you know what they say, life is full of surprises. Or in this case, full of flavor. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea. Try it to believe it. For 20% 
20% off your next 12-pack, head to Amazon and use promo code 20PureLeaf. That's promo code 20PureLeaf for 20% off. Okay, quick math. The less your business depends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep, obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite and you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash greatness. netsuite.com slash greatness. Again, head to netsuite.com slash greatness. Welcome everyone back to the podcast. I'm very excited today. We have an incredible guest, Alanis Morissette. Good to see you. Oh, good to see you. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited. Right when I walked into your office, I was like, I feel healed already. <laughs> it smells good in it here. It smells good. There's like <laughs> crystals and all these spiritual books yes. and everything's feng shui. And I'm like, oh, I just feel like Everything's going to be okay when you're in here. And you have a bed in your office. I was yes. like, this is amazing. I learned that from Jenji Cohen, who is the creator of Weeds. I went uh-huh. in for my initial meeting with her and she had a bed in her room. And I just, I, I fell to my knees. I just thought this is the most genius woman I've ever met. <laughs> and she has a bed in her room. Yeah, way so, better than just a couch or a futon. Yeah, right? no, if, you you're, actually, if you're going to go for an actual well 16 it. minute nap, you want to go horizontal full. I love this. Yeah. Um, so I'm so excited. Uh, I want to dive in and, and speak to your heart right off the bat. Okay. Um, That's the best thing you'll cu- Right? And I'm curious uh, who was the most influential person for you growing up? Before you reach 22. Um, My grandmother on my maternal side, I would say, they escaped during the revolution in Hungary in 1956. My mom and my aunt and my grandfather, who actually passed away when I was two months old, so I never really hung Mm. out with him. But just everything my grandmother went through and her European amazing feistiness, Uh fire, I feel like it's in my bones and in my soul. So she was, she was also the woman that just would hold me. I think touch is such a big deal in the world. Absolutely. You know, appropriate touch. (laughs) Uh, Well, that's the thing in America too. I think a lot of people under touch each other like crazy because we're all afraid of sexual harassment or sexual inappropriate behavior, but we're all walking around for the, needing it. it. That's my love language. It's like, yeah. When I feel touched, whenever time. someone touches me, it's like, I just, you don't have to say anything Melt. to me. Yeah. I feel loved. Everything's okay. Everything is okay. Just rub my face, <laughs> pet me like a dog. Yes. I don't care. Yeah. Just touch me. It is. Um, okay. So you're- I'm glad everyone listening knows that. <clears throat> everyone knows that. So yes, appropriately, if <laughs> yes. you're not my girlfriend not or in a relationship with right. yes. Exactly. Um, so your grandmother, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's the biggest lesson you learned from her growing up? I think her empowerment, she was always an alpha and I had, I had been around, I mean, I was mired, the whole planet was mired still, unfortunately, in patriarchy and a little bit of misogyny and a little bit of disempowered versions of alpha beta. We Uh talked about that briefly before we got on. (laughs) Um, But anyway, so she was, was a walking example of this empowered female presence that was unapologetic about being an alpha. Yeah. So 
I was in context where if I was an alpha, I felt like I was literally going to get stabbed in the face and my head was going to get chopped off. So I kept looking at her going, well, she's still alive. She's not, you know, she's not getting chopped down. Her wings aren't being clipped. Right. And this is growing up in Canada too, right? Yeah. Canada and Germany. We, we were there for a few years. A few years, right. But you don't speak in, that was when you were like five, right? Uh, Three to six. So you don't speak any. I used to, but it's completely gone. People say it's in my unconscious. I'm not so sure about that. Yeah, (laughs) right. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Uh, So she taught you about how you could be this presence and not get your head cut, cut off. Yeah. Be it, have an opinion, mm. be empowered. I mean, not to say that I didn't experiment with being reduced sure, <laughs> and low self-esteem. I mean, I feel like I've been through every <laughs> emotion possible, yeah, right? <laughs> yes. And every version of self-hate all the way to self-love. So, um, but she was, I kept referencing mm. her and then also she, you know, I'd come home like this prodigal daughter, mm. granddaughter in her case. And she would just hold me and just say, Oh, sweetheart, you're working too much. And she was great at mirroring. I just think it's such a big huh. stage of development to have people verbally say back to you what they see. And I was in all these different contexts where I was being exploited and, you know, as a young prodigy, I was, you know, a lot of people were saying certain things back to me in order to get something. Yeah. My grandmother had no need to get anything. She was a giver. Wow. From me. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. What about your parents? Which one influenced you more? I think they both did. You know, there were, there were challenges and beauties to our interaction to be totally transparent. I think with most people, there's, there's a few different colors going on. But one of the the most amazing qualities I think that they instilled in me was a sense of limitlessness. Um, And they used to just say, you got to be a go-getter. You got to be a go-getter. So sometimes that was actually a little extreme because there are times where I actually don't want to go get. I want to go lie down. (laughs) (laughs) And actually my dad was really good at that. My dad's very sensual, totally into wine, travel, internationalism. I think Canada is pretty good for that too. There Mm -hmm. was after um, high school, a lot of people don't go to university or college right away. They go traveling the planet. It's almost like a rite of passage. Mm-hmm. So my family, both parents, instilled that love of the planet. Really? Everyone in Canada does that? Most people? I do- mean, most. In the UK and Europe, they do that too. Yes. They go for like a year or two. Yeah. And in, in America, it just seems as though you graduate from high school right and then college. you're right into college. Yeah. Obsessively so almost. Yeah. And I, you know, my parents are both teachers and they've been teaching since, mm. you know, for 40 some odd years. So... Education is huge in me. I'm unschooling my son. I'm obsessed with the multiple intelligences. Did you say you're unschooling him? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? It means educating him in a very organic way. And and I do reference Howard Gardner, the multiple intelligence theory, because I just think we have so many intelligences. People say, oh, you're so smart. And I often follow up with, well, smart how? Like physically mm. smart, intellectually Book smart, smart right. socially smart, intrapersonally, like internal interiority smart. Well, what kind of smart am I, you know, or you or anyone, frankly. Right. So, um, so as long as a, a lot of the, um, intelligences are considered in my interaction with him, which they are every day, I feel he's being educated well. So he's not going to a specific traditional school. No. School of life. And I have to tell you, School I, of greatness. <laughs> com. <laughs> right here. Um, yeah, I've, I, I want to make sure he's highly educated and that he's exposed to as much as he possibly can be. And of course, if he wants to go to conventional schooling, oh. I, I would only support that. Sure. You know, it's interesting not to talk about me, but just to mention. Why not? Oh, I mean. <laughs> You're here. You know, I was, I was always in the bottom four of my class all the way through high school. and In what area, though? On the grade card. 
So on the grade card, I went to a private boarding school when I was in eighth grade, and they would rank us for our class. So as under what terms? For the though? GPA. Okay. So yeah, like, got if, it. you know, the highest GPA, you were number one. If yeah, you're the, the lowest GPA in that class for yes. that semester, you were number the last. Whatever. Yes. And I knew how many students were in our class, <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> so I was always in the bottom four. So the I mean, it just always made me feel ignorant, stupid, not worthy, yeah, and not smart enough. It's not awesome the way that they can Horrible. judge and assess and testing. Horrible. And then it doesn't take into consideration temperaments because some people are, quote unquote, right. pure geniuses, but under the under the terms of the context of a test, yes. the what cortisol about... levels are up, the brain's gone, exactly. everything's offline. You're like, exactly. I can't access my genius. So, you know... Not to completely unequivocally just diss the entire education system no. on the planet, but I'm going to. No, <laughs> but it's <laughs> but it's like no. There's just room for for having each unique snowflake of a mm. creature have their own way and style and brain and everything be considered. And how they learn, and that's yeah. why, you know, I, I never really believed in school, but I believed in growth and education. Yeah, me and that's, too. And that's why I was like, I want to create. Uh, a school of greatness that's not about like traditional learning. Yes. So thank you for being a professor. Oh, you got to it. To all the students I'll, in the I'll world. I'll give any key, keynote talks. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, so you've been unschooling, but your parents are teachers. Yes. That's interesting. What do they think about that? Uh, they, I mean, they're so um, obsessed with education, especially my father. My mom's obsessed with education, but in a service-oriented way. Not that my dad doesn't serve, but um, he's obsessed <laughs> more in the curriculum and, and the uh-huh. cross-section of what's available content-wise. Yeah. yeah. So um, they, they love it. They respect me. They, they wow. know what I'm up to. They don't think that he should be in school? and. To be honest, I don't actually care what anybody wow. thinks. And, uh, <laughs> <to> that. <laughs> yeah, I want to make sure my son's hyper-educated of course. And, um, and loved and that his his style of learning will be taken mm. into consideration. That's cool. So how are you handling that? Are you teaching him? Do you bring in other experts to teach certain it's a, things? It's a combination. And it's, it's exhausting. I just want to <laughs> make sure I say that. I mean, yeah. taking this on is an undertaking. It's a, it's three people's full-time job, if nothing more. Wow. Um, so, but it's worth it to me. And um, yeah, we have some people come in. He has a big community of aunts and uncles, all of whom have this area of jurisdiction where they shine. And, you know, one brings in art and we make mobiles, you know, uncle Eric, and then other, <laughs> you know, other women come in and we do yoga and dancing. And, and it's, it's yeah. not even overly planned. It's very child led. So he may stay in some moments working on a project literally for four hours straight. And then other things will present it to him and he has a three second bandwidth for it and we're done. Wow. What a lucky so, kid. Yeah, I feel lucky. He's not to, forced to like go through these every hour of different learning. It's not and, rigid structure. Wow. I just think the years wasted of spending time on things that probably didn't support me in any way. Weren't supporting more supporting the eunus being right, fluffed. Right. You know, in a lot of ways, I look at education as like the people skills that I learned, the connecting with people, working on teams with my peers, the sports that I played, I would never take that back. And without school, I wouldn't have been able to develop as a human in those extracurricular activities where I did thrive. Yes. We have to talk about the great parts of school. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. The The socialization. (laughs) Basically the social parts. Yeah. I did love English and drama. You know, we did a lot of acting. Who's Afraid of Virginia Mm -hmm. Woolf is one of my great memories in school. In English class, I was oh. I was playing the female part, and my teacher took on the male part, and the other poor fellow students were subject to are just basically going through the whole play in English class. But that the linguistic intelligence, that sort of wordsmithness, mm-hmm. you know, I was drooling. Yeah. So there were classes that stood out, and then others mm. that just I was barely there. 
Hmm. Sleeping. What was I was sleeping almost every day. It was like plus I was eating the worst foods ever because I wasn't yeah. educated on my and health. Our brains aren't even happening. I'm yeah. just eating like pop tarts all day or something. Yes. You know, just macaroni like, and cheese, which you know and has pizza. its moment. Yeah, it does. They all have their moments. Truffle macaroni and cheese. <laughs> if you cannot beat that, there's some great truffle mac and cheese in, in LA. Town. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yes. Um, I want to know about your biggest heartbreak uh, from your teen years. What was the the, the boyfriend? Oh, you that, mean romantic heartbreak? Because yes, there's, there's so many versions of heartbreak. Of course, of course. I mean, like the the boy that man just took it all away, just stole your soul, or just like made you feel like oh, like this ache, this agony. Who was that? Maybe you don't have to tell me the name, but what was the experience? Right. We'll call him Oliver. Okay. <laughs> um, it was, well, I think in terms of temperament and, and Elaine Aaron, who talks about highly sensitive people are non-highly sensitive. Mm-hmm. 20% of people are highly sensitive in animals as well. Yeah. And that doesn't mean non-highly sensitive people are not sensitive. It just means there's a, it's a trait. Yeah. So a highly sensitive person walks in the room and they get 500 pieces of information. A non-highly sensitive walks in a room, gets 50 pieces mm-hmm. of information. So they, Elaine Aaron says the, the highest amount of satisfaction is when two highly sensitives are together. Okay. That doesn't mean that other versions of couplings aren't awesome. Right. Um, so this one particular person was highly sensitive and so was I we were both you know pretty traumatized uh-huh. so there was that love addiction thing going on as well and mm. then just straight up chemistry yeah mm-hmm. how old were you with this uh, I was in my mid-teens 16 and I had two lives going on so I would be at school and then I would go to the studio and work in the studio till two or three in the morning really? and then come back to class and that's the class I would sleep in in the morning. Because <laughs> we're next... like, this is boring. Well, it's not, chemistry it, class. I mean, God bless. It was history and I actually appreciated <laughs> history, but I had had four hours sleep. So. Yeah, yeah. So there was the my age, chronological age world. And then there were all the people I was hanging out with who were 20 years uh, old. You were an adult at night and a yeah. teenager during the day. Yes. Interesting. And when did that start? You were like 12 to 14 range when you were... Yeah, I started a record company when I was 10. What? Because... A little <laughs> because entrepreneur. A little freak of nature. <laughs> um, pretty precocious, but also sensitive and terrifying. Um, I think what was happening then was nobody was signing kids. Right. Now they sign you when you're an embryo. You know, like you you're, you have talent. Let's sign you. Have you one YouTube hit. And, <laughs> yeah, right. How do we cha-ching get you? Right. Um, so then I just thought, okay... I had shopped a deal, if you can believe it. I had made a record, written songs at around nine with a friend of the family. Around nine. Yeah. And it came out when I was 11 on our on our label that we started because there was no other way to do it. So that had kick-started my passion for songwriting. And sure. it was by no means autobiographical at that point. There was yeah. not much content to... It's like the boy <laughs> on the playground. Pretty much. Well, I wish. It was more about like more mature relationships. Oh, really? But it was still fictional. It was still fantasy. That's funny. But that's when I started to have this, this double life of older slightly sometimes inappropriate dynamics where I was thrust into these environments where I could fake that I was a little more mature and poised, sure. but I was still a child. Yeah. Yeah. And then there were, you were 11. Of yeah, course you were a child. On, I, I mean, I didn't even, you'd be surprised though. A when lot I was of 25. People... I didn't even know what I was doing in my life. You know what I mean? It's like you were 10. <laughs> yes. That's crazy. It okay. It is a little crazy. So when did, and you moved to LA when you were about, was it 19 that I read? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, had you been to LA before then? I had. Okay. Yeah. I had been down here during the Olympics when I was oh, wow. 10 years old. I think that That's was awesome. That was great. That's amazing. I went to my first Olympics in London, the last one. Oh. And I'm what, actually. What, uh, what event? 
Uh, I went to some beach volleyball. I went to oh, cool. a couple basketball games and then the handball. Do you know handball? Yeah. Very handball. European. I play on the USA national team. Oh, cool. So, I didn't know that. Yeah, I've been, I moved to New York City to go, to go make this team, to train and, and learn this new sport because it's always been a dream to play in the Olympics. Wow. So I found a sport that I felt like I could make the USA national team. Good for you. And then I trained for the last four and a half years and we didn't qualify for this upcoming Olympics. Okay. So it's just been a journey of you know going after my dreams. We didn't make it happen, but I went to go watch and experience. I played against some of the national teams that were playing okay. in the Olympics. So it was just cool to go say, hey, I played against these guys from the Olympics and watch it live and be like, oh, they're kind of like my buddies, you know? Yeah, so, no kidding. Um, the Olympics cool. are unbelievable. The energy there. Although I was horrified a few years ago when I was watching, I used to competitively swim for years. And I remember watching- You did? What, in high school? Uh, yeah. Really? We trained eight days a week. It was crazy. Like twice on Sundays. How are you twice training on Sundays. for a, a sport, up all night, recording music, yeah. going to school all day- yeah, that's no, no wonder you're so the like, angry. Well, I, well, I, <laughs> you're exhausted. No, it's actually work addiction 101. I mean, right? I, I was a work addict. Yeah. I, I, that's how I cut my teeth. That was the perfect addiction because it's the respectable addiction in America. This gentleman, yes. Brian Robinson, I've been working with for years, actually now, almost maybe a couple of years. Um, who's a genius. He wrote the work addiction, sort of the seminal book, Diane Fassel and Brian Robinson wrote the seminal books in my mind on yeah. work addiction recovery. And he's been helping me, but it starts early. It starts with the overachieving thing. I know you know mm. nothing about this. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And so a lot of people look at the overachieving child, the straight A creatures or whatever, right. and they go, wow, this person's amazing. Meanwhile, they're actually kind of suffering. Why do you think you were pursuing the overachievement? And your um, teens and well, it was one way to be loved, you know. If I was moderate, or if I was even quote unquote less than average, I would be even more invisible than I was, you know. So for me, it was about being seen, and I could tell there were certain things that were on people's radars, you know. Oh, yeah. my talent. Oh, my brain. Oh, my poise, or whatever. The top ten things, fill in the blank, were the things that got the attention that I was so starving for. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host so listen we all know life is full of yada yada like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print and i know you've dealt with yada yada before like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else and yes it is possible to outsmart yada yada like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is already included but you don't take yada yada in life so don't take yada yada from your wireless provider metro by t-mobile has no contracts no credit checks no surprises and nada yada yada stop by one of over six thousand metro stores nationwide 
When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there too. Too, in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Why were you starving for? Were your parents not giving, seeing you? In some ways, yeah. We're like sister, brother and sister. <laughs> I felt the same. I was the youngest of four. Okay. And I never felt seen or acknowledged right. or yes. you know, getting the love that I wanted because my parents were just working multiple yeah. jobs, God trying to them. take care of yes. them. It was like they were crazy because yes. there was four kids running around the house. Yes. So there's nothing to blame. And them. we're not even taking into consideration all, all the other internal stuff that's going on for them. And Yeah. And they were you know. fighting constantly and not happy because they got married when they were 18 and because yeah. they were pregnant and whatever they were up to. And they weren't living their dreams. So it's yes. like they had their resentments. Yeah, and the consciousness level was different then. They weren't, yes. you know, it wasn't a thing. Right. To do that, to make sure that the stages of development are, exactly. the, the boxes are checked. And I mean, yes. that wasn't even a conversation. It's almost barely one now, you know? It's so, just starting. Yes. Yeah, it's starting. And so you felt like they were never... Uh, fully seeing you for, or just loving you or acknowledging you as the child you were? Or? Well, they were doing the best they could, and I definitely felt loved. Mm -hmm. There were just so many aspects of my humanity that were just missed in the crossfire, you know? That's what I say. I felt loved. Like, my dad always tucked me in and told me he loved me, course, but I didn't yeah. like... It's the specificity of of the mirroring. So the stages of development, crassly, quickly, is the touch and the holding. Yes. This, I grew up in the, you know, I was born in the 70s. So wasn't, you know, this is a time feminism also. It, context is huge to take yes. into consideration around this. So my mom went back to work right away. My twin brother and I were born. I asked, you know, I was basically wondering about the touch eye contact thing. There's certain key things that happen during that stage where ideally we want the skin on skin eye contact thing. Yes. Or uh, breastfeeding. If, if mom could do it or not, you know, like just being able to have that stage development considered, then the exploration stage, am I bonded and attached enough to move out into the world? Or is there no one there and moving out into the world is scary? Or is moving out into the world the only option I have? Then the third yeah. one is identity, the mirroring, and not just mirroring two or three things. They call that concave mirroring, where if they just go, I'm going to mirror that you're a great athlete and that you're handsome and that you're, and that you like cars. What about the six billion other aspects of you? Right. All right. So the mirroring that can be inaccurate or straight up mirroring that's not accurate, like walking in the house and you go, I'm freezing. And your parent goes, no, you're not. Sit down for dinner. Oh, you're, like, you're fine. Yeah. You're like, your eyes are crossing, <laughs> but I do feel cold, but maybe right. I don't. And maybe I'm wrong. And maybe my impulses are wrong. And if my impulses are wrong, I'm wrong. I'm and I bad. can't trust myself. And yes. I can't trust anyone at all. Yes. And then the fourth one is competence. Can I do it? So then some parents on the continuum do the hyper. Not only can you do it, you're going to be the next president. You're going to be number one. You're going to win every award. And you're just like, oh, you're Jesus, the, the pressure. Because right. the best thing is its own, for me anyway, it's oh its own gosh. violence, right? And then the other end of the continuum, which is you're good for nothing. You can't. You'll never do this. You know, smirking when you have a dream, all that stuff. Mm. So that's a very crass version of the first four. And so I, I just think of how complicated it is to even sometimes 
understand it, let alone to have parents apply it, let alone to have them apply it when they're freaked out and they're wounded and they're in a context where they don't have enough energy. And know when to apply how it. We, like, yes. How do you know what they actually need and yes. want? The art of parenting and it's... doing it well enough and not, not thinking that as a parent you have to be perfect. So there's all that. What do you think was missing from you growing up or missing from your experience growing up that you wish you would have had? Um, more feminism, just more of a... Fi- a f- I think feminism, I call it the female, uh, not sorry, not the female body thing. It's, it's a feminine in men and women alike. Mm. So it's honoring the empowered feminine. So vulnerability, you know, God bless us. Gone are the days where we're sort of overly animal-esque. We don't, we're not required to be animal-esque in so many ways. In certain war-tone areas, of course we are. It's fight, flight, yes. freeze, collapse, do your best. But in areas where the privilege of the Western approach is happening, you know, men can be vulnerable, even though, yes. even if they were called wussies, if they were feeling, and women can be empowered, even if they're told women should stay in the kitchen or whatever the archaic stuff is. Right. So now we have a free for all where men and women bodies can be everything, everything they were born to be. Is that confusing? Uh, not confusing for me. It's exciting. Yeah. But it also. Could it be confusing if. It could be overwhelming if, if one doesn't know what their role is or doesn't know what their ideal dynamic would be. So it's a self-knowledge conversation. Can you give me an example of that? Um, if I'll give you an example. A personal example is that for a long time, I always felt that I had to be beta because I looked around me and other than my grandmother, I basically had women examples of doing a certain thing and that women couldn't be alpha. They couldn't be the one in any kind of a driver's seat. They were going to get their heads chopped off, like I said earlier. So can we give a definition of beta and alpha? So okay, so the context. In, so beta would be someone who supports the mission of the alpha and it happily does so. I don't know if you study the Enneagram, but number twos on the Enneagram are very service oriented in this way. Okay. Um, What's this Enneagram? What is this? So the Enneagram is a, is a method. I'm going to slaughter this because I'm such a new student at <laughs> we'll, this. We'll link it up. If it's online. We'll, we'll figure <laughs> it out. Please give resources. Yes. But um, Riso and Hudson, Helen Palmer, a handful of different uh, geniuses over the years have, have really illuminated, Eli Jackson Bear, have really illuminated what the Enneagram does. It basically discusses nine different types of approaches to life. Hmm. And, um, and I've been studying it a lot. So I'm a four with a five wing. <laughs> Four with a five. A four with a five wing. Check it out. Five wing. A five wing. So you have a wing. A wing. First so of all, you have all, like a primary and then like a secondary. Yes, and then you have a number that you go to. Uh, they call it integration or growth. Okay. And then you have a number that you go to when it's disintegration, or I call it stress. Okay. So, so my what's a four mean? A four is the artist internal. Uh. And then there's the quote unquote healthy version of the number, and then the more kind of dark side. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So anyway, so my growth, when I'm in my best seat, I'm uh, a one. And when I'm in my most uh, stressed out thing, I go to two, which is the challenging part of two is people pleasing, self-sacrificing, oh, loss man. of self. I've been in that. Yeah. So mate, we'll figure out what your numbers are at some Afterwards, point. Maybe yeah, after this. After this. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's fascinating. Okay. Anyway, my point is, is that, so, so a lot of twos can be betas, but, um, but the key is not so much whether you're alpha beta. It, to me, it's neutral. A lot of people get horrified at that because uh-huh. there've been some associations around beta being Weak lesser than submissive. Or yes, and alpha being worthy. maybe scary or dictatorial. But but when there's a negative connotation to alpha or beta, it's because there's a disempowered version of them acting out. Mm. So a disempowered alpha would be a misogynist, very dictatorial, not win-win, cocky, yes, ego-driven. Mm-hmm. 
all about him there. Her. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, we, I, you know, that's what that is. There can still be a great alpha who says, listen, I'm going to take control of the situation and make sure we all win. I got you. Yeah. And I'm going to take everybody into I'm account. Of, us all up. Right. And I'm not done until we're all high-fiving. Exactly. That's yeah. an empowered Celebrate. alpha. And an empowered alpha also turns to an empowered beta, says, here's what I'd want. Here's what I'd like to do. Here's the mission. How do you feel about that? Mm-hmm. And the beta will go genius or let's tweak it a little bit or, you know, not feeling so good about that. We'll give some good feedback and yes, insights and, and support. support. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what was, what was that? Uh, what was the question even? Uh, alpha, beta, um, the top text okay, of alpha, beta. So self-knowledge. Uh-huh. I mean, basically this is all coming back to, I think, theme wise is how important it is to have knowledge of self, yes. not only for romantic relationships, but for colleagueships, who to hire, who to commit to on contracts. Your we're, mission in the world. Yes. So how you interact in the world. Yes. And yeah. if we're relying singularly on our parents having nailed the stages of development, we're in trouble. Wow. So there's so many ways that we can find ways to re-cohesivify, nice word, uh, doesn't exist. Um, so re, kind of re- Configure. Yes. Re- all those things. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. So basically, um, there's so many ways to do it. There's trauma recovery work. Mm. If there's any addiction processes, people, substances to address it from the addiction recovery yeah. way. Um, PM Melody talks a lot about codependence recovery and it's basically the maturation process, growing ourselves up, mm. you know, and doing it in group, doing it in one-on-one, doing it individually. Margaret Paul talks a lot about how to have a bondedness within ourselves. Yeah. So my obsession is always bond with self and define self. Richard Schwartz, the IFS model, internal family systems, takes the family systems model and internalizes it. So you could talk to all these aspects of self, which is really Jungian, you know, just talking to these parts from the self, Sure. you know, so, so self other nailing social intelligence, interpersonal intelligence. Yeah. And then I call it supra intel, supra personal intelligence. So God intelligence Mm -hmm. and Howard Gardner actually added that. That wasn't an intelligence. He only had seven for a while he added naturalist intelligence which is the gardening green thumb thing uh-huh. i don't have that one <laughs> um, <laughs> like look away i'll um, recycle that's about the best i, I will do. chop that zucchini so hard <laughs> but i don't know how to grow it exactly yeah my husband's amazing at it. so um uh, so he added naturalist intelligence and um i don't know what he calls it actually i call it spirit he calls it spiritual intelligence mm. so there's so many ways to figure out who you are and figure out might be too heady of a word, mm-hmm. like head of a word, right, right. but somatically too, a lot of the trauma work is getting into the body. Cause so much of my life I've been dissociated. And you can't connect with your head when the trauma is in your heart and your body. You've got to let it out somehow. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you're analytical, that's not going to, if you're just no. reading only or right, theoretical, yeah. or journaling only. Yes. Cause theory can't heal. If we were wounded in relationships, it's the relationships that's going to do the healing work. Yeah. So a lot of us get into relationships where we repeat this compulsion to repeat the same trauma. Same pattern, right? So not so much that we can escape that because I can't intellectually say, okay, I'm not going to be attracted to people who ignore me then. <laughs> no, because you How's that working be, for you? Yeah. yeah. Well, why are you going after people that don't look at you? Yeah. Same archetype. Okay, yeah. here we go. Um, it's more that there'd be some intentionality around letting relationship committed and intimate relationship be a hotbed for healing. Mm. How do you heal in a relationship? If you've been, you change behaviors for each other. So if there's blind spots, the theory is that the blueprint for your growth lies in the requests of your partner, especially the ones that piss you off the most. The ones so, that trigger you the most, yeah. the ones that like, Oh, you yeah. want to like, if only could you please just keep quiet while I'm talking. Oh, 
you know, okay, I'm going to try that. Right. So, so what you're saying is making specific requests. Yes. So get those frustrations, those I want to kill you moments, mm-hmm. turn them into requests as a quickly calm, as you can. Request, say, Ideally. I really don't like when you scream at me for doing X, Y, and Z. My request is that when you get upset at me and if I do this, that you would simply tap me on the shoulder. Or just say stop or ouch or right, right. You know, lift your eyebrow, whatever. Right, <laughs> Come right, up right, with right, your right. agreements. Sure. Something you know? where you, you ask a request. Gotcha. And knowing that the ones that are the hardest to do are usually the ones that are going to be most healing for your partner. Mm-hmm. So if I'm pulling out of some major blind spots, it's probably going to heal my husband the most, mm-hmm. vice versa. Yeah. And so, and so that's the third part of what romantic partnership promises. The first one is the infatuation. Can't get your, get your hands off each other. Can't stop thinking about each other. You're obsessed, mm-hmm. which it's could segue time. into love addiction. And I say, drag it out as long as you can. <laughs> right. It's so much fun. Right. Oh my God, it's a drug. Every hormone, every it's amazing. spark is going off in your body. Is there a more Milk powerful it. drug than that? No, I don't think so. I mean, that's why love addiction is actually the biggest, in my mind, the biggest withdrawal from any addiction of all addictions. Because you have this connection, this intimacy, this love, this looking at each other's eyes, this touch, and then yeah. you just rip it apart, yes. you don't have it anymore. And it's then you're like... left with the emptiness that perhaps was there to begin with, mm. that perhaps wasn't looked at. So all that's where the codependence recovery, Pia Melody nails it in her love addiction recovery book. Mm. And then and then the second stage is the where you start fighting. Conflict prevails. You, you're in the relationship, you're in nightmares. Oh, f- <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, 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 I've married this person. Oh. Or, oh God, I'm in the wrong relationship. Or, you know, it's, the, it's the nightmare phase. Wow. Now, some of that is sort of uh, appropriate if it's a value systems uh, mismatch or if there's some abuse going on. Right. Yeah. Maybe take a little yeah. step back. Yeah, of course. Um, but often it's not the time to jump ship. That's when the rubber is attempting to start to hit the road. And then the third phase is what we just talked about a second ago or what I was basically going on about a second ago where you actually start helping each other out. Mm. So and, the, heal and heal with each other as opposed yeah. to say, screw this, let's end it. And you do your thing, I'm going to do my thing, and let me get yes. back in the same pattern, and you get back in the same pattern, and let's actually heal yeah. this together. Yes, as opposed to, I'm just, we're going to break up, and then I'm going to go date someone exactly like you, and go through the Which same... a different story, and have This a one has blonde hair, and this one's a little and shorter, and yes. Hmm. Love addiction, and then... And then so what's the resource for, is there a book about this, or a yes. process, or an exercise, or workshop, It's or... a combination of a few books, but um, Harville Hendricks is uh, keeping the love you find him and Helen LaKelly hunt together have the mm. big Imago movement. Okay. Did that you talk about this it. on your last podcast. I talked about it with him and Helen. Yeah. 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 I listened to that. It was great. It's so great. I mean, the Imago thing really made staying through the challenging time uh, an imperative for me. And there mm. were so many people who dealt me who were just like, we're fighting too much that no, we're done. And I'm like, done. We're just getting started. Is, we're just getting started. <laughs> this is the good stuff. Yeah. You know, and and some some people say don't get into the jugular hard heavy lifting until you're super committed. Mm. But I had a little caveat of well, what if they're not up for the heavy lifting? How do you know? Yeah. So you know, you got to be careful there. It's challenging. It's like. If you're not willing to do the work before you get committed, like what if you get committed and it's too late or I don't know, and then they back out. So or... ideally you want to meet someone who, even though they may not have necessarily done a ton of work, that they're open to it. Open to it. Yeah. Because if someone's not open to the work, you're pooched. You're screwed. Both people. And, you're, and are you still doing work every single day? And... Yeah. I mean, it's, it's slowly it's becoming different. less, you know, there's less salt being poured in each other's traumas. <laughs> yeah. But we have moments. <laughs> yeah, of course. 
Yeah. But you've sounds like you've done a lot of work over the last 20 years. Yeah. And especially in my marriage, I have to tell you, so much of the work that I've done has been uh, relational. So if there's a therapist or there's another person in the room, that's huge. Because I've, I always thought that art and including art therapy, if it's alone, wasn't actually healing. It was really cathartic. Mm -hmm. But there was no healing going on because it wasn't relational. You were getting it out. You were releasing. Moving it. And so, yes, maybe I For moved. a moment, you were, channeling, yeah. you were channeling it out, but not healing fully. Right. So I'd sing these songs. I'd sing You Ought to Know. And then I'd, um, if I ran into that person having sung this song 150 times... It wouldn't have been more healed. Your heart was still like triggered yeah. and you were reacting. Yeah, of course. And, uh... yeah. So basically I realized it was catharsis for art. But as soon as a human being where there's some semblance up. of commitment or some semblance of intimacy where there's vulnerability and two people sharing self, then the healing happens. Oh but that's, goodness. I mean, I also think the soul is very shy. So pace yourself. <laughs> like it I'm, doesn't have to happen right now. No, just like. Life is also messy. And, and it can be really fun. Like pepper in some fun movies and right. snowboarding and, you know, jump out of airplanes if that's your thing. I like it. You know, bake. Uh, yeah, it doesn't have to be this dark conflict. You want to you want to break it up a little bit and watch Game of Thrones or whatever or, or, you or need. Or weeds. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was telling Alanis before this that uh, she helped me get through a dark moment of two weeks of weeds watching. So are and, you a love addict? Are you, are you a recovering love addict? Or are you not a love addict? What does that mean? It means that the relationship kind of takes over um, and that there's something about the person that becomes almost like a higher power and you lose a sense of self. Maybe your self-care goes down a little bit when you're in a I think that's or... happened in the past. Um, mm -hmm. I think I'm much more aware of it. And yeah, because there's been past relationships where I've ended relationships and moved on and been fine and okay so there was been single for a year and felt great okay so then you know, no maybe like, yeah yeah okay but then there's other relationships where i'm like oh man i really you know miss this girl and it's like wow there's actually so much good about her what was i thinking well that just sounds like straight up grief that doesn't sound like love addiction withdrawal. Gotcha. okay yeah so maybe you're not but i maybe but, but i could miss <laughs> but maybe you are <laughs> but who knows i'm so messed up who knows <laughs> Uh, everything. I don't wish up. that one on you, though. By the way, which one? I don't wish love addiction. On okay, you. it's not great. Gotcha. Okay, cool. <laughs> Where was I going with this? I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm curious. Over the last 20 years, a lot has happened. I mean, over your whole life, obviously, but the last 20 years, when you kind of like made it big uh, with your, it's the 20 year anniversary, right? Of your of uh, Jagged, Jagged Little, Little Pill, which yeah. is insane. Right? I know. And and I think thank I read God, on though. Wikipedia. Thank God. Right? Thank God. A little distance was <laughs> right. A little disidentification from which I want to talk ride. about that too. Yeah. Uh, but did it sell 30 something million records in the first? year or something like that i don't know what the record breaking things something. but there were some guinness book world record moments um it's crazy but yeah it sold a lot of records sold a lot. the record company th said you know we think this could sell upwards of about a hundred thousand copies and i remember telling <laughs> i literally did the saturday night live like put my fingers on their mouth like don't speak don't jinx it right you know, I, I, I first of all it's too daunting to hear someone say what wow. they hope I don't know how you're, uh -huh. you are with that, but I don't like hearing people's expectations. No, it's tough. No. Especially, with, I just had a book and it's like, mm. you know, if an agent or a publisher's like, uh. we want this to happen, you're like, oh, what if it doesn't happen? Right. You know what I mean? And, and it's kind of implied sometimes when they say what they would like mm. to have happen, mm. this pressure that if it yeah. doesn't, there's going to be this big disappointment, whatever. So I don't like that stuff. So they said 100,000. But they said 100,000. I remember like, thinking, wow, that's intense. And, and then, then 30 million something later. Mm-hmm. 
you're like, whoa, my life oh, is forever changed. Yeah. Right? Yes, because I was I was the observer of people. I loved sitting and just watching human beings. And then all of a sudden and then millions I, of people were observing you. Yes. Every move, yes. every decision, yeah. every relationship. Yeah. And the irony for me is that I actually have recognition shame. Like I don't actually like people looking at me, but I also have this other side that <laughs> you can look at me. I'm turning I've done here. a lot of work. <laughs> um, I can actually look at people now. No joke. Um, but then this other part that's like a ham that I wear my cape and I'll, mm. you know, I'll, I'm all Joan of Arc on steroids, you know, yeah. like anytime you want someone to volunteer, my hand's already up. Sure. You know? So, yeah. so I, I'm constantly putting my foot on the pedal and the brake, mm. you know, but anyway, that, that time period was huge. It taught me a lot about humans and relationships and betrayal and exploitation. Wow. And I can only imagine the amount of mm. trauma that comes after that type of success. Yeah. Like a searing amount of betrayal and exploitation. I couldn't even fathom it. Yeah. Like everyone wants a piece of you. Everyone wants to take probably. Everyone and talk wants- about invisibility. That's another thing. I, I was sold the same bill of goods perhaps that most people were sold about fame, which was that I'd be kumbayaing into the sunset with Johnny Depp and, you know, me and me and all these celebrities would be hanging out and Sharon Stone would be painting my nails. You know, that just wasn't the case. I would phone different celebrities and say, hi. And they'd say, why are you calling me? Really? And I'd say, I'm uh, just maybe, uh, bye. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Forget really? it. You know, I was just wanting a friend for crying out loud. Somebody they who, who could why maybe they help talk me. to you or, or give you some they feedback. Just, or they didn't or... understand that I could be so vulnerable as to reach out what? for it. Maybe. I don't know. It's different. It seems different now. I don't know. I don't know if people are as isolated as they were. Do also, you, when you call a celebrity now, do they get back to you or are they more open? Well, I don't call it... celebrities as a, as a thing. Sure. <laughs> Who's my next celebrity? <laughs> um, Johnny Depp, how are you? <laughs> I did actually speak that. Um, but uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, it's different now too. Also, contextually, the feminist movement is just in a slightly different place. Yes. There's more of a squad mentality now. Now, yeah. do I know the degree of intimacy in those relationships? I have no idea because I'm not in it. Mm-hmm. But But at the time, I'd be on tour with... 14 male bands at some huge muddy festival in Europe and I'd be the only female, maybe me and Bjork. And we'd send a song of mine before Jagged Little Pill came out. We'd send you, I don't know, to the radio stations and they would say, you know what? We can't play this. We're already playing Sinead O'Connor. We're already playing Tori Amos to the point where it was like, wait a minute. You can only play one or two girls? Apparently. What? Now, obviously that's different. It's like all women, it seems like now almost. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Yeah. Bless. Yeah. Now the men need to get stepped out. Yeah, right? they're, they're fine. There's uh, so many amazing male artists. There's a lot. Yeah. Now I'm curious because you were 19 when you moved here. Do you feel like it was, now I know you had this talent in Canada and you were obviously gifted, but do you feel like when you came here that you almost got like a, a lucky break at all? Does any of that come up for you? Like, man, I just met the right pr- people and got in the right situations and we hit this thing and it, it was the right timing and I was the right voice and... There was, was a lot like, of uh, stars you know, aligning for uh-huh. sure, um, but it wasn't so grace tinged. <laughs> sure. You know, a lot of rejection. Basically, yeah, yeah. when I first was sharing my songs with people, it was basically across the board a Everyone big fat now. no. Yeah. And as a Canadian, I was taking some meetings where people wanted me to self-promote and sell myself. And you were like so they'd sit back yeah. and they'd be like, tell me about how amazing you are. And, you know, I would freeze because that, that wasn't like, my style. Sing, <laughs> <laughs> so I would say, I, I said to the, the team I was working with, the small team, I just said, I can't take these meetings anymore. I just have to have my music speak for itself. No, probably not unlike your podcast and your book. Yeah. And you want it to speak for you or yes. you to speak for you, but you... 
you know, I, you don't I, want to dance like a monkey. No, I am no monkey. I am. There <laughs> no might way. be some dog and pony shows, <laughs> but I don't go to those. Yeah. Um, so yeah, certainly I shook a lot of hands and smooched a lot of cute babies, but um, but I didn't. I couldn't do the thing of selling myself to people. So mm. I just thought, let's just finish this record with Glenn Ballard off the radar. Once the record was finished, then I met Guy Osiri at Maverick. And oh, that's who it was. was. He was doing okay. backflips, yeah. He was uh, Madonna's manager, right? Mm. Yeah, guy. Uh, Madonna's label was Maverick. Yeah, yeah. And so they were all working together with Freddie gotcha. DeMann gotcha. and Abby Conowich. Yeah. yeah, Guy, I've never met him, but he invests in a couple companies I invest in as well. When I always hear about him, mm-hmm. seems like a great guy. So mm-hmm. he's the guy who, who supported the Yeah, he heard um, Hand in My Pocket and Perfect. And he was doing backflips. And you ought to know, yeah. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> like on the table, jumped <laughs> yes. off. No, just kidding. Great shoes. Yes. No, he he was so excited. And that was it. Wow. And you were 20 yeah. at that time? or I was 19 still. That's crazy. Or no, I was 20. I was 20 at that point. Amazing. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting because it doesn't seem like, you know, 20 years ago that that many people had the opportunity as they do today. Mm-hmm. You know, as you can do a YouTube video or be on Vine or Snapchat and get a record label or yes. just throw out your own album on iTunes and right. do half a million sales or something, yes, right? Yes, yes. You build your own audience. It's so direct now. It's very There's no bottleneck. Then. Yeah, there, there were major bottlenecks and pros and cons to both approaches, different right. eras. Right, But it was all like if MTV played it, then you were big or something, right? Yes. And now it's like- Or MTV? if a radio station played it and people called in, that, that, that was, was it. The people spoke, you know. The people spoke. The people have spoken. It's crazy. What yeah. do you think, um, what advice would you give people now- who are in this different world where it's like they're not trying to move to LA and find like a record label that's doing it on their own. What advice would you give them? Um, it would be the same advice I would probably give anyone if they asked me. I hate unsolicited advice, so they'd have to ask me. <laughs> sure. um, uh, would be to just be themselves. So mm. write songs that are you. You know, For me, I don't enjoy listening to songs that I think are overly presentational. Some element of performance. If someone's too just packaged, got a, right? Or too... Yeah, too presentational. Too, yeah. Not enough... Um, too much of the, sh- the messy. machine. I like a little messy. That's, a little. That's like your definition. Yeah. Like who you are. <laughs> so I'm just projecting my own preferences here. Messy but that's set. what we do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so yeah, I like when it's some when it's autobiographical and vulnerable and powerful and um, whether it's a movie or a book or anything a sure. podcast. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. What is it like now? You know, you've had all the success in your early or late teens, early twenties with your music and. The the numbers haven't been as big, you know, since then. Yeah, no. Right? You had like it, this, it went down precipitously, like continuously after. Ever since twenty years, as it keeps going down a little bit, right? I mean, I want to put you in a yeah negative state of mind. I'm, here, I'm but, not right, right. <laughs> That's um, neutral information. Cool. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I mean, yeah. these are the facts, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, how does someone who hits like blows out these records and world records and yes. millions of copies not how do kill you emo- yeah how do you emotionally handle it? Like, oh, maybe my best musical performances mm-hmm. or the results of the best performances have are behind me? Well, the results of the best performances is probably a good way to put it because so much of it has to be around how I define success. Of course. I mean, sales numbers. Yeah. Sales yeah. numbers to me are, you know, and I said this before Jagged Little Pill, during Jagged Little Pill, and still now, they're almost inconsequential. Mm-hmm. You know, does it affect money coming in and opportunities? For sure. Yeah. But opportunities abound for me. Of course. And, and it really begs the question of what kind of opportunities. So there are opportunities to do huge TV shows with huge audiences. I've had the privilege of doing a lot of that. I've Movies, been doing it yeah. recently. I mean, I have access to being expressed. So for me, if I have a sense of self, I'm in my seat, as I call it, 
and I'm being expressed, I'm being of service, and I'm taking care of myself so that I don't burn out. That to me is the definition of success for me. And then I had to start having some personal fulfillment too, because I had professional fulfillment nonstop and I still have that. You could get, you could succeed anytime professionally you want to. Yeah. You can get in a TV show or movie or it's the per- most fun and performing the AMAs. Yes. Or doing a comedy right? piece with so-and-so. And there's just so many ways to scratch the itch of forms mm. of expression. So that to me is like, I'm a kid in a candy store today. Right. Yeah. Um, for me, it was about also combining personal fulfillment. So that took a minute. And then now yeah. that I have that as well, I'm happy to say, now I just feel like I, it's about waking up in the morning and knowing what is the imperative. For me, it's service and self-expression, continuing self-definition, uh, deepening intimacy in relationships that it were always terrifying in the past and mm. becoming slowly less and less so. And nurturing the ones that are really important to me. Yeah. What are the most important relationships right now? Um, my husband, my son, my community, my best friends. Mm-hmm. They're huge. Yeah. And it's it's a constant. Every day there's a new thing. You know, and sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes it's, oh, they let me rub their back a little longer. Or, uh-huh. oh, they cried with me. Or, oh, I, I asked for help. Or, you know, whatever the, the growth stretch is for me in any given moment that mm-hmm. in the past perhaps I wouldn't have done for fear. Maybe I'm doing it a little bit more today. So defining success to me is a multitudinous thing. It's not just success means winning Grammys, although that is some version of success, according sort of it's like externally oriented success. So there's internal orientation around success and the external validation. The external validation is dangerous, though, because if we're singularly focusing on that, that is an ebb and flow. My whole life I've been loved and hated. Uh, People don't give it. People don't care. All of a sudden, they really care this week, and then next week, they don't care again, and and then they hate, and there were websites erected on how to punch me out properly. Like, there was, I mean, just (laughs) the whole continuum of of abject adoration and love and respect all the way to abject hatred and and emotional violence. So, I can't really ride that roller coaster. If I'm externally oriented, I'm in trouble. Externally referencing. Constantly looking for an acknowledgement, a thing to like bring you. A feeling yeah, or yeah. feeling like, like you And then you're it. dependent on it. Yeah. And you're so, always searching for the next yes. big thing. Right? And not to say I'm an island, the whole autonomous movement, you know, God bless the movement of autonomy and post-feminism and everything, or post-feminine, post-70s really. Yeah. But, but now I just think I can't be singularly internally referencing I'm not an island. Yeah. So I pick the people who I feel vulnerable with. We give each other feedback. They'll say, well, there's a little blind spot there. <laughs> 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 you know, and vice versa. But we always do it with a tenderness. Yeah. And then I'll want their feedback. You like this song? But if I like the song, if I like the chapter, if I like the conversation we're having, I don't actually care what someone else thinks about yeah. it. This is just self-definition. I'm not saying this is the this is the height of what all people should aspire to. It's what I love. Yeah. And that's it. And that's enough for me. I want to talk about relevance for a moment because for... I don't like that word. Unless we don't you... have to talk about okay. it. Let's <laughs> talk about relevant. Well, you tell me what you okay, think that word qu- means. Well, here's the question. Yes. And you can, if we don't want to answer it, you don't have to. Yeah. Um, let me make sure I say this the right <laughs> way because I don't want to make you upset at me now. I would never be upset. Uh, so about, to, about to, from, you know, for 20, 20 years ago, for a number of years, you were extremely relevant yes. with your music. Yes. And you were at the top of the charts. You know, everyone wanted you. You were touring everywhere, yes. et cetera, et cetera. Yes. It started going down a little bit every year, you yes. said, right? Yeah. These are your words. I'm yeah, no, sure I'm not you're, putting you're not going to trigger okay, me. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, do you feel... 
how important is it to be for you to be relevant in the world? Yeah. Uh, so to, let's get okay. So let's get explicit about what okay. you mean when you use the word relevant. I guess relevant. Uh, relevant meaning famous. Known and on top so of mind. famous on top of mind. On top of what? Like on top of mind awareness. Like you're on the top of people's minds. Okay, so you're famous. I guess you can call it, yeah. It really is Okay, that. okay, famous. So let's talk about fame. How important is it to you for to you be to famous. be relevant? Famous. And to have influence and to be able to get your message out to the world. Okay, Whether it's so, through music so now you, or through So now you're splitting message. them in two. And some of them, okay. there is an overlap because yeah. to the degree that you have more fame, you have more influence as you and just- you can serve more people, right? Yes. So what I make sure of- is that my engine that is me serves mm. microcosmically and macrocosmically. Yeah. I don't have entire control over well it's whether it's 60 billion people or 1,000 people. Mm -hmm. I don't have control over the number, but I do have control as to whether I show up. Mm -hmm. So I just go micro, macro, micro, macro all the time. And if I'm not doing enough macro service, there's something feels very wrong in my body. If I'm not doing enough micro. What do you mean by macro service? Uh, showing up, doing this. Yeah. Um, if you're just isolating yourself. If I'm just in my sweatpants. Yes. All day for a whole year. <laughs> and I'm you... just faking. Um, then, then I feel as though I'm not living what I was born to do. And mm. by the way, I don't always love what I was born to do. Sometimes I feel actually quite encumbered by it. What were you born to do? to be micro macro. Some people were born to be in the public eye and others weren't. I mean, I know a ton of people that they look at my life and they go, that looks exhausting and I would never want to do what you do. And I'm, and I just think, well, great. Don't do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Glad you're not doing it. Yeah. And so there are other people who are more built for the, for the micro, you know, like I think of a sacred nurse in a hospice. Mm -hmm. She's not dying to be on television <laughs> but she's serving a group of people every single day yes yeah so that's to me the micro gotcha <clears throat> and they're both equally important and yes. for me personally one without the other is egregiously incomplete it's like making sure you're there for your family and your small community of your family but uh, yeah. also okay let me take my message out to the world and serve the maximum number of people yes Okay. And maximum is the perfect way to put it because I can't control the degree of what you might call relevance what, and what I call fame. Mm -hmm. I can control showing up and getting my glam team together and right, shooting right, a right. video. Mm -hmm. I can control all that fun stuff, but I can't control the How receptivity. How many people are going to watch it or listen no. or show and up? And neither yeah. can anybody. Yeah. We think we can. A lot of people in the industry think they can manipulate it, but you can't. Through the press and through whatever shows you're on or things like that. Yeah. Right? Do you feel like you're still as relevant as you were? As famous? No. I'll just say famous yes. from now on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, relevant is also a very modern word. Okay. It's very modern. So if I go back 20 years or even to the 60s and 70s, they wouldn't have said relevant, I don't think. This they would have said, famous. how famous are you? Oh, gotcha. Okay. Now, there's also my relationship or my perception of fame is that a lot of people want to be famous for the sake of famousness. You know, it's like being famous. You know, I go, what does fame mean? Fill in the blank. Fame means that I, what? People you know? know me when I walk But if people know you, then what? Right. right. You know, what, what would I do with that white hot heat of yeah. staring eyeballs? You know, a lot of people, I think, chase fame to get the attachment stuff they never got. It's literally eyeballs looking at you, people wanting to touch you, people wanting to be near you, people being obsessed with you. What's that if not what mother offers us or caregiver offers us when we're born, ideally? So there's that whole conversation. Then there's just, you know, I'll get my dad's approval finally. 
you know, I'll feel it finally be accepted by someone. Yes, so. and I'll have the money and the cars. And, and out, so, so to me, it's to what end? Like, mm. what does this actually provide you personally in your soul, in your heart? Mm. And I think that that's where it gets a little dangerous. If there's a new famous person at 18, it makes sense that they would chase it to the degree that they do. Or even celebrities that are now in their 50s and 60s still chasing it like they're 21. Yeah. A lot of that is still chasing what? Still chasing attention and and if it's relevance or fame or whatever it is, they want they still want that. And yeah, there's a part of me that's super insecure and loves the idea of, you know, walking out of a big television show in New York and people being there. There's yeah. another part of me on a human body level that hated that. Really? I was dying in it. And it wasn't sustainable for mm-hmm. me. So yeah. I have what I see my life as being now is the perfect combination of if I really want it to be in macro, if I put a book out or a record out, I'll promote, I'll promote it to high heaven. And you could get it out there for, yeah. Yeah. And whoever's supposed to read it is going to read it or listen to it. If you're supposed to hear it, you'll hear it because I'll show up to promote it. Mm -hmm. But the rest of it is enough to me. And if I can walk around the streets and actually look at people and have some people come up to me and go, Hi, what's your name? I'm just like, yes, I'm a human being again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you look very girl next door. You're like this, you know, yeah. you're not this glammed out celebrity or something. No. So it's like you're very approachable and relatable. Yeah. Thanks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, what do you think your message was 15, 20 years ago? Um, what did you want it to be? Um, was it? it was to express what was really going on. I think I grew up in different contexts that were that were overly presentational, yeah. not not overly authentic, and there was a lot of pain, secrecy, and um so I had this drive, I see it in my twin brother too, this drive to go to the jugular of what's really going on. Well, what's really going on? What's the lowest common denominator denominator here? How can we reduce this to the truth of what's happening? You know? So that's what I was doing then. And frankly, it's what I'm doing now. Now I'm doing it with a little bit more swagger. Right, right, right. <laughs> now I'm just like, well, I know what it is. I'm pretty intentional, I guess. Yeah. If I'm sleepwalking, I'm sleepwalking. But then it was a little more dangerous just because there was so much mm-hmm. heat. Attention, yeah. Mm-hmm. Fame. <laughs> uh, relevance. Uh, well, they're all, they're all the same. Exactly. Thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, what do you think is the mission now? What's your assignment in life? Now it's it's to serve and comfort and uplift and validate and inform. You know, so if I can, if someone's suffering, and I can say one thing that will help alleviate that suffering and allow some agency in them, or some uh, empowerment, or some fire, or some tenderness, yeah. or or the stopping of their kicking their own asses ruthlessly and endlessly every day. I've been there for many, many years. (laughs) If I could offer even a glimpse of, even if it's just a laugh at how hard it is to be human sometimes, or, you know, that's all, that's all I'm here for. There's no question. So I'm here to educate if it's appropriate. I'm here to validate and empathize and laugh with someone. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Through what, what type of context do you want to create that through? Do you, what type of message do you feel like music's going to be a big part of your life? Are you going to continue to create music or do you feel like you've said everything you need to say in past songs? Uh, no, I'll, I'll, I'll write <clears throat> records until I'm dead and okay. probably after I'll probably okay. <laughs> like, torture someone by channeling my stuff through them. Um, so I'll always write music, whether people are listening or not won't even matter to me because I have to write songs. Mm. So I'll always write music. A little bit of comedy has to happen. If I haven't done comedy in a couple of years, I start wanting to eat my own hands. <laughs> 
a little bit of comedy, um, design. You know, my website's been really fun because I'm it's able to be beautiful. in the design it's beautiful. aesthetic. Yes, I love it. So beautiful.com. We'll have it <laughs> linked you. up. Make sure to check it out. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Um, so, so aesthetic design, um, sound. Mm. So all the senses, frankly. Uh, sense oils. I'm obsessed. They're all over I my saw site. All the oils there, yeah. So basically, all the senses: yeah. sound, beauty, design, aesthetic. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, all basically all the senses expressing through those and through comedy and through feminism and mm. health, taking self care to a mm. whole other level, but not perfectionism because the self care, wellness, well being movement can be mm. so co opted by the ego and co opted by the beating oneself up to of turn course. it into some perfectionism. Mm -hmm. Dangerous. Um, and then spirituality, like just showing where God shows up in all these different forms. Right. And then psychological. I mean, there's this academic geek in me that's always been there that's, <laughs> you know, just like a clinical therapist <laughs> in the body of a glittery, sweaty little rock star. <laughs> you know, so back then I had to kind of hide that. I remember on the cover of some magazine in the UK, they said something like stadium therapy and Alana's wow. and her psychobabble. <laughs> and I was wow. like, whereas now it seems to be maybe a boon, mm. <laughs> you know, it seems to be something to, that's of service as opposed to something people can make fun of. Sure. Um, what's the, the line in a song that you've written that speaks to you the most, that you love the most one line. <laughs> there's one line that cracks me up only because there's so many words. And then the content <laughs> is so awesome, I guess. Um, can blindly continued fear induced regurgitated life denying tradition be overcome and i it was it's in uh the 20th anniversary uh deluxe fancy package uh -huh. we made so the version that i have in there the sound version doesn't have that line but we did a new version and i couldn't find it wow. uh so i wrote the lyric in and it's some demo somewhere and i'll find it one day and just put it on my site cool but i remember trying to put a new line in there because the old one didn't feel so good and that's a rare thing usually when a song's written it's done really fast mm. but um but that line totally cracked me up that i got away with <laughs> song. it's like how can i sneak in words that are entirely right. inappropriate right 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 <laughs> <laughs> and what's the song that inspired you the most when you were growing up that, that healed you the most that made you want to belt it out every time over and over the smurfs all-star show <laughs> that's literally the first record that i got so i was as a kid in Germany, I just remember being on the Autobahn, which has no uh -huh. speed limit, which was so my father. He loved that Autobahn. Yeah. Um, he would play Carol King. And so everything by Carol King, basically. And then there was a kid's record she did, Really Rosy, I think it's called. I knew every lyric and I could sing it top to bottom wow. as, a, as a kid. Okay. If you were given uh, unlimited money right now, mm -hmm. if I said, here's a trillion dollars. Yes. And this trillion dollars or whatever it is can heal one thing in the world and you can only heal one thing right now with this money mm -hmm. and you had to spend it mm -hmm. on healing that one thing. What would you want to heal? Raise the feminine consciousness because feminine consciousness makes sure, makes sure by its very nature that everything, everyone is okay. Water, healthcare, mm -hmm. you know, divisiveness, lack of conflict resolution, all of those incredible things that we look to, to create salvation for a disharmonious planet would be healed through the raising of consciousness, which is fueled in my mind by the divine feminine being upheld. In That's a, both in men society. and women. Yes, both yes. bodies, all races. I like that. So raising the the feminine. Period. Interesting. Okay. If you had uh, 
piece of paper. It's your last day. <laughs> of my life? Yes. Uh, in many, many years from now. I would now. turn it into a veggie burger. <laughs> 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 okay. It's, you know, decades from now. It's your last day. Thank you for saying that. Yes. You're, okay. you're hundred and something years old. 22. There you go. Okay. You've got uh, all your music has been erased. Okay. Every book, every website, everything you've ever put out there has been erased. Wow. That's actually a relief in that. It takes the <laughs> micro pressure and shuts it off. Right. Okay. Or the macro one. Sorry. Everything's gone. Okay. And no one has access to your stuff anymore. Okay. All your lyrics. Your my whole, whole body, my soul. whole body just <laughs> relaxed. <laughs> your whole heart, your soul, your life's Well, that's work. kind of what's going to happen when the body goes. Yeah. I mean, none of this is going to be relevant. Right. No one, none of this is going to be Talk about relevant. <laughs> <laughs> but you have, a, you have your family there. Everything most important to you is there. And you've got a piece of paper and a pen. And they say, you know, grandma, great, great, great grandma. <laughs> Uh, we love you, but we have nothing to remember you by except for this piece of paper that you're going to write something down for us. Okay. And we want you to write down three truths that you know to be true about life. Wow. That this is what what will be remembered by what you say. Because okay. none of the stuff you ever said, we can listen to anymore. Yeah, we don't have access. We don't have access. Okay. So you have a piece of paper and three truths you get to write down that you know to be so true about life. What would you say are those three truths? Well, the first one I'll just repeat. Which is the trillion dollar? <laughs> the trillion the feminist is, thing is the fem is yes. is the feminine. If, when the masculine, powerful masculine in all of us serves the feminine agenda, all is well. Okay. Okay. Uh, the other is a drawing that I would do. It's my definition of love, which is uh. someone I was dating someone in my twenties, and they said, "What's your definition of love?" And I said, "I'm going to draw it." So I just drew two stick figures and one stick figure goes, you. And the other stick figure goes, no, you. <laughs> <laughs> so it's both people wanting to serve each other. Oh, will you draw that for me before we leave? Yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> and then the third one would be, um, I just would pull back, you know, if we look at how many galaxies there are and the new, new ones discovered all the time, how tiny. And then, you know, the spiritual concept of there being no such thing as time. That if we look at how short this period of time is that we're on the earth and, you know, not so, not so much to reduce how quote unquote important we are, but to reduce the, um, the scarcity of thinking that it all has to happen now, that it'll all unfold in perfect time and that life is happening and it's happening through us, with us and without us. So taking some of the preciousness away mm. and letting people have a little bit of an out breath tiny bit maybe a little yeah. more levity and lightness not to wear this weight on the world of like it's all on me or something right yeah okay I like that's that. i mean that's just off the top those of are good head. those are good stuff <laughs> <Okay. creatures. laughs> you'll be able to say much more but i just want to know that <laughs> no this is it this, this is, is the only thing say. you ever say <laughs> um what are you most grateful for in your life recently whoa where to begin i'm grateful for conversation conversations mm -hmm. like this mm -hmm. where one plus one equals seven I'm really grateful for that. And I've been able to do it more publicly in my podcast in this moment. Yeah. I just, I've always loved interviews for that. Um, there's a self-definition component. There's a teaching component. There's a service component. There's a humor component. Yes. So it kind of blends everything I live for. <laughs> so conversation. Um, mercy. Huh. Just really, really grateful for tenderness in the face of what could be violent. You know, I grew up around a lot of reactivity and a lot of scariness. Mm. And so being in environments where people err on the side of being tender when they could not be. Yeah. I'm always so grateful for that. Yeah. What do you think is missing in your life right now? 
Ooh, oh, that's a good question. A little something there. I don't know what. <laughs> I'm like, Ugh, what's missing? Um, maybe a little more water, like more wakeboarding. Oh, I was gonna say it just rained. I know. <laughs> that, well, you could wakeboard the droplets. Uh-huh. Um, maybe a little more um, engines and water and ocean. Yeah. Go like, to the ocean paddle- a lot? Yes, I do. I oh, spent a lot of time in Malibu. Wow. So more paddleboarding. Yeah. Okay. It's a little cold right now, but. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Come on. It's not that cold. It's cold. You need a wetsuit out there. Uh, it's fine. Although when I first moved here, I would always swim out in the ocean in December. It's kind of cold. Come on. It is chilly. And but... all these uh, surfers would swim over and they, they'd say, are you from Canada? <laughs> and I'd say, yeah, how do you know? And they'd say, you're the only one not in a wetsuit out here. Oh, <laughs> you funny. have to be from Canada. That's funny. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's what's missing. More water, mm-hmm. sports and activities. Mm-hmm. What's the biggest fear right now? The biggest fear is that I have so much in me and that somehow something, I got to knock on a bunch of wood, that somehow I won't get it out in time. Mm-hmm. And that's scarcity mindset. And mm-hmm. But just I just really want to make sure that I can help as much as I possibly can, which would mean getting it out through song or through a book or through my site. And I'm mm-hmm. on it. It's not yeah. like I'm not cooking. What have you not gotten out yet that you really want to get out? Just things that could help people. Yeah. Okay. Or at least would be available to help people. Mm-hmm. That would kill me if, yeah. if there were so many things I could have done to help and I missed it. Mm. Yeah. What's something you're most proud of that no one knows about that's not talked about in the world? And uh, <clears throat> I think how much I manage, you know, that I use both sides of my brain all the time. I'm managing my house and, uh-huh. and the career and the ideas and the vision and the charities and the... You know, I'm just managing a lot. And I, in some ways, I know to the outside eye, it might look like there's an effortlessness and a breeziness to it, but it's it's a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. What do you want your son to know about you when he grows up? This combination and that ideally it would be in him and I already see it happening in him. So I'm a happy mama. <laughs> but, um. But that there's both, you know, whenever we're playing sports or whenever he's trying something new or he's doing a lot of gymnastics right now, like Mm. that this combination of brazenness, this cockiness, this power combined with this grace and humility and prayer that Mm. that both that duality together is a really powerful force. So being going in with graciousness, but power. Yeah. That combo platter is nice. That's cool. Mm-hmm. What's the one quality that you want to take on that you haven't taken on yet? Um, just uh, being a little less guilty <laughs> when I say no. I say no all oh, the time. You have to. I you, do. Because you get asked. I mean, I wouldn't be here if I didn't say no you, a billion times. You get asked all the time, I can only imagine, yeah. to do things, to show up for events, charity, yeah. this. See, support. that I don't have so much trouble saying no to because there's only so much a body can do. Right. It's the, I have a little bit of a caretaking thing. When I'm disempowered, I go to the two on the Enneagram. And so basically just to watch that, you know, women especially, I think, are sold the, the thought that if you don't give, that you're innately bad. Mm. So I just got to watch that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What's the one question that you've never been asked? You've always wanted to be asked and answer. Um, You've probably been asked a million. Every question I probably asked you, you've probably been asked a million times. I don't know times. about that. I, I'd have to think about that one. But what's is there a question that you always wish someone asked that they never have that you would love to answer? Just uh, 
you know, what are you, what are you feeling? And why, I, what are you feeling? What am I feeling? Well, the thing is, the reason why I think some people are afraid to ask me is because I'm usually feeling about 12 things at the same time. Okay. So I'm feeling, uh, are you asking me what I'm, I'm asking? I'm asking you, yes. Is this the For question reals? that no one <laughs> How are you feeling? What are you feeling? Really? Yes. Okay. Um, I'm feeling giddy. Uh, I feel um, terrified always. Mm. I think I always have a little element of anxiety coursing through my system. Especially as a mom, probably. It's like yeah, another level. Mom. That, was, that took it to a whole other level. But I always had anxiety. <laughs> yeah. It's just like a general chronic anxiety. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say giddy and nervous and... Um, yeah, those two. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, I want to wrap it up by acknowledging you for a moment. We're going to get into promoting some of the things you have going on. You can do that for me. But, but every, at the end of every episode, I like to acknowledge my guests for coming on. So sweet. And uh, for what opened up for me during the episode. Yeah, tell me. So I want to acknowledge you, Alanis, for mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. your incredible love and humility and openness and graciousness and your commitment to serving people. Hmm. I can experience, I feel that you are so, your heart is so big Hmm. and you've gone through so much pain and struggle and yet you continue to step up to serve the maximum number of people in the way that works best for you and sometimes it doesn't work best for you. And so I acknowledge you for your incredible gifts, for your incredible love and for the grace in which you've done everything for the last 20 years since you've been in the spotlight, Mm. from my experience, it seems very graceful because I could only imagine the amount of pressure and weight you've had to carry Mm. or that you've, you've put on yourself or that other people have. Mm. And you've come out so beautifully and open. And, uh, it's amazing to see that you're living like your life, the way you want to live it. (laughs) And, uh, inspiring people around you. So I want to acknowledge you for all those things. Mm, Thanks. Yeah. Uh, My final question (laughs) Mm -hmm. before I ask it is um, I want everyone to make sure to go subscribe to conversations with Alanis Morissette on iTunes. I listened to the second episode uh, this morning. Uh, Catherine Wilbur Thomas, who introduced us is the first episode. So I highly Mm -hmm. recommend checking it out. You do it a monthly show, right? It's monthly for now. Yeah. So go subscribe Check out Alanis.com. The, the site is beautiful. There's lots of great content out there, articles, things like writing, that. Yeah. A lot of writing. Mm-hmm. And the 20th anniversary of your your famous record. Mm-hmm. So go pick up the record. Mm-hmm. And um, what else? You got a book coming out when? Yes. I'm finishing it over the next few months. So okay. it's tons of stories. And I couldn't just have a whole story that or a whole book just based on memoir, it wouldn't mm-hmm. be enough for me. Yeah. So I'm putting a bunch of teachings in, sort of bridging that braided narrative. Um, I think I'll be done that in 2016 at some point. Okay, cool. And then, do you have a publisher I, with that or is that self-published? Okay, cool. Yeah, Gideon. All right. Um, yeah, Harper One. Nice. So um, basically, when that's done, I'll take a little bit of time off and then I'm going to go right into writing a new record because I'm Amazing. dying. I've been holding the record hostage. I, the I, I have to because yes. I would just keep writing six more records and never get that book done. <laughs> so you got to finish one thing. I'm yes. holding it hostage. It's go. quite torturous, actually. That's great. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, anything else? I just started following you on Instagram. So you're on Instagram, oh, you're yes. on the Twitters, you're on the Facebooks, you're on everywhere. <laughs> She's on the Twitters. <laughs> go, go follow her everywhere. We'll have everything linked up in the show notes here so you can check out all the things we talked about. Um, anything else that we should That's be doing? That's great. You're, you just so nailed it. Thank okay, you. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Thank you for your graciousness and your intelligences and your humor and your openness and your mission. 
and living it so fully. Bless you. I appreciate it. Thanks. Mm-hmm. I've got one final question. Yes. Uh, it's what's your definition of greatness? Mm. And is it another picture or is it? It probably is. <laughs> I'll give it to you. Um, greatness is self-knowledge expressed. Oh, that's more said. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. There you have it, guys. I hope you enjoyed this interview. It was such a privilege and an incredible experience to connect with Alanis. So down to earth, so loving, so present. And I was so grateful for her time and her energy and her wisdom. She has so much to give and to share. So make sure if you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends over on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Use the link lewishowes.com slash 266. I think people need to hear her message And I want to make sure we get this out there in a big way. Also, if this is your first time here on the podcast, thank you for coming. Thank you for celebrating this message of greatness. Make sure to subscribe over on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, and leave us a review over on iTunes as well, because those reviews help us continue to stay in the top of the rankings on iTunes. Again, such a privilege to have Alanis on. So grateful for her. Make sure to share this out, lewishouse.com slash 266. Subscribe to our free newsletter where we give away some of the top tools, resources, and information on how to live a better life and also build an income and build a business around your dreams. So make sure to go to lewishouse.com to sign up there. We've got big, big things coming very soon. The end of the year is near. And I'm very excited to share with you what we have coming very soon. Thank you guys so much for being the support that you are. Thank you for spreading the message of greatness. You guys know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium bang and a Lufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. And I've learned the hard way that constantly holding on to your emotions and repeatedly choosing to not talk about your feelings will only make you feel worse and worse. And up until about 10 or 11 years ago, I was afraid to talk about my trauma that I experienced. And I know we all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. But therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to fit your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Lewis today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash L-E-W-I-S.